name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Most of you probably know, but maybe some of you don't know, but I, but I don't play golf. And that's kind of strange for a pastor not to play golf. In fact, I remember when I was young, all my, all my pastor buddies played golf. And I think the, the scuttlebutt back when I was young was that pastors played golf five days a week and worked one day a week and, uh, and, and took the other day off. I've told this story about Nathan before, but I'm going to tell it again about Nathan waking up one Sunday. Nathan plays golf, and he woke up one Sunday morning, and uh, he realized that it was an exceptionally beautiful, warm spring day. And he decided he wanted to play golf. So he called his associate over there at Fox Hill. And he said, hey, man, can you preach for me today? I'm not feeling well. And uh, his associate said, sure. And so, uh, so Nathan got in his car and drove 40 miles away to a golf course, thinking nobody would be able to see him there. And he started playing golf. And, uh, of course, when he got there, God and one of his angels looked out over the banisters of heaven and saw Nathan. And the angel said to God, he said, you going to let Nathan get away with that? And God said, nah, I'm not. Nathan hit his first, first ball off the tee, and it went 420 yards a hole in one. And I don't play golf, but I know that's really good, right? And so um, the angel was astonished. He said, Lord, why in the world would you give that to Nathan? And the Lord smiled and said, well, who's he going to tell? <laughs> Let me tell you why I don't play golf. Now, this is true. I don't play golf because I'm a pretty competitive person, and I played, I don't know, quite a bit when I first began, because I started off at a church as a, as a youth pastor, and, uh, and all the golfers, like Ray Ledford, wanted to take me golfing, so they did. They took me golfing, and I'd go play, and, uh, and I just wouldn't improve. I tell golfers all the time, man, that my first time out on the, on the course, I shot a 95, and they all go, <gasps> and I say, yeah, and then we went to the back nine. So for you golfers that, uh, you know, you, you understand what that means. But uh, I didn't improve, and I gave up. I, I quit. Because I, I wasn't getting any better. Now, I realize today, so much older and so much wiser, that it takes years to get better at golf. And sometimes I wish I hadn't have quit. And I know some of you say, well, pick it back up again. But no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about what I'm going to say right now. But, but I believe the same thing happens to us sometimes in our discipleship. That is, in our following after Jesus, which happened to me in my golf. That uh, we... Imagine following Jesus being kind of easy or something we'd get the hang of really, really quick. And it turns out that it's a whole lot harder than we thought. And we have struggled year after year to make improvements. And as much as we tried to improve, we seem to take three steps forward and not even two back. We seem to take three steps forward and then take three steps back. And we tend, if we're not careful, to, to want to give up. Let me ask you this morning uh, about you as a disciple of Jesus. Where are you? Are you where you want to be? Are you where you think you ought to be in your fellowship of Jesus? I'm, I'm pretty sure that many of you would say, no, I'm not where I want to be and I'm not where I ought to be. And I know that. And as a consequence of that, what may have happened to you and happens, I think, or can happen to all of us is that we become stagnant in our following after Jesus. 
We become passive rather than pursuing to follow the Savior. We sort of drift in life. And as a consequence of that, we become joyless, maybe even dry in our spiritual life. Um, we're, just not, we're just not investing as a disciple anymore. We're, just, we're hoping it's going to change, but, but we don't know what to necessarily do about it, and, and we've just kind of given up. I've been following Jesus for over 40 years now. And uh, in that 40 years, there have been times when I have followed well, but there have been a lot of times where I have not followed well, where I've sort of given up on following the way the Lord wants me to follow. And, and I've become passive and I've coasted and there wasn't even any excitement or there wasn't any joy in following Jesus. And there really, the purpose of my life really wasn't focused on, on following after Jesus. And listen, and I know you know this because my whole life has been lived here with you. I mean, some of that's been, well, I've been occupying this place of pastor in our, in our church. I think there's a, a few logical thoughts from this reality that I'm painting, if I could just, just kind of enumerate them for you. The first one would be this. Because of all of what I just said, we're at different spots in our following after Jesus. We're, we're not always at the same spot. We're not, there is no uniformity. There is no uh, monolithic view of the Christian, even within our church family. And there are times when I'm experiencing a really low and you're experiencing a really high in your Christian life and vice versa. Because we're just not all at the same spot. So, you know, what's hitting me today and what I need today may not be what you need today. It may not be what I need tomorrow, but it may be what you need tomorrow kind of thing. Here's another, here's another logical thought that kind of stems from all of that. And that would be that we're, we're not all progressing at the same rate in our spiritual life. And, and we, here's, another, here's, a, here's a corollary thought to that. We don't all progress at the same rate always in our own life. In other words, I may be a rapid grower in my spiritual life where you take a lot longer to change and to become more like Jesus. Or I may be really, I may be doing really well making lots of changes today, but that's not true a year from now or two years from now. Something derails me and I'm off in the weeds and I'm really not making much progress in my Christian life. I've probably told you this story before, but when, when we first moved to Latin America, for those of you that don't know, my parents were were missionaries, and, and so I grew up in Latin America, and so we went to Costa Rica for a year of language school, and then we got to my, the country where my parents served, and I lived and grew up, and, uh, and it, so I didn't go to language school. I didn't have anybody teaching me Spanish. I learned Spanish on the streets with my friends, and so I'd come home, and, and Dad, who'd been to language school and was still taking Spanish, I'd get on the phone, and, and, and Dad would listen to me, and I'd get off the phone, and Dad would say, it's not fair. He says, you slur your words. You know, I can't hardly understand what you're saying, but nobody ever says to you, what did you say? Nobody ever says, hey, I don't understand what you're saying. He said, but me, I've been to school and I practice great diction and everybody's always saying, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I don't understand what you just said. And, and so dad was always frustrated by the speed with which I learned Spanish and the speed with which he did not learn Spanish. Here's another, here's a third thought. You know, we don't all need the same thing in our fellowship of Jesus all the time. In other words, what some of us need today, others of us have already mastered, and we're, we're, we're someplace else. And so what you need, somebody else sitting next to you may not need that. And, and what, what, what they might need or what, what you don't, what you may, how do I say this? 
You may need something they don't, and what they need you may not, right? Because of this, because discipleship, following after Jesus is, I mean, it's something we all do, but we're, we're all at individual rates in our growing with, with the Lord Jesus. I made this point last week, so I hate to focus on it too heavily, but I want to mention it again, that uh, many of us follow Jesus or begin to follow Jesus, but we don't continue to be learners of Jesus. We don't continue to be apprentices of his. Uh, not all continue to follow it's hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus. And, and I'm not saying that Jesus said that. Remember, he gave us the little story of the sowing of the seeds. And he said, hey, the plant comes up, but some plants, they wither away because it gets so hot, they burn up. And he likens that to it being really, really hard. And then he, he likens some to a plant that grows up and then weeds choke it out. And he says, that's, that's hey, people just get choked out by the cares uh, of the world. So not everybody continues. And, uh, but, but I want to suggest that because it's hard, you know, some of us become discouraged in our walk with Jesus. It's not that it's, you know, we're, we're discouraged with our progress, maybe because it's hard, maybe because of the weeds, but we become discouraged with our, our progress. And maybe we don't really give up on following Jesus, but we just, we become passive in it. And we're just, we're sort of drifting rather than really pursuing after Jesus. And Bible writers knew it. I mean, they knew that this would be hard and they knew that we'd be stumped and they knew that we'd be tripping up over, over this. And so they give us warnings not to fall away. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it, but in Hebrews 3, the author says, Take care, brothers, that there not be any of you, uh, there not be in any of you, excuse me, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. And then in Timothy, Paul writes to him in his first letter, he says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And Peter wrote to his audience in his second letter, chapter 3, he said, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. On the night of Gethsemane, right, the night before Jesus was to give up his life for us, uh, remember he came to his disciples and he said this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he instructs them not to fall into temptation. And, and again, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that's even temptation to fall away, I believe. So um, I feel certain it's a, good, it's a good prayer for us to pray. Father, help us not fall away. Help us not grow discouraged in our following after you. So I talked about when I was a young Christian back in the early 80s. And uh, back in the early 80s, there was a singer, a contemporary singer. Uh, you probably maybe all heard his name. Some of you younger people, maybe not. But his name was Keith Green. And, uh, and Keith Green was, for, for my millennial days and my early days in following Jesus. I mean, Keith Green was an inspiration to me because he was just slightly older than me and he lived his life just absolutely for the Lord. I mean, sold out. I mean, he, I guess he'd always lived his life that way for whatever he did. And when he began to follow Jesus, it just became who he was. And he wrote a song that, I, that still today, I mean, when I hear it, it just speaks to me. But here's the lyrics. Lord, the feelings are not the same. I guess I'm older. I guess I've changed. And how I wish it had been explained that as you're growing, you must remember that nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. And then he made this statement. I know that I would surely fall away except for the grace by which I'm, I'm saved. And so 
I guess if you, hopefully you're following the, the point I'm trying to make is that following after Jesus, it's easy for us to become so discouraged that we either fall away or that we really, and again, can you not fall away? Can you, are you, have you not fallen away if you're not pursuing to follow after Jesus? But I'm going to assume that you can just be spiritually dry or, or just apathetic or just lazy in your following after Jesus and drifting, but not necessarily having fallen away. And so what, I, what I'm hoping to do, and by the way, in case you missed last week, we're on this series for, for a couple of months talking about discipleship, the call of Jesus to be his apprentice, to follow after him. And, and so my, my goal over this next two months is going to be to inspire us by his spirit, to, to motivate us, to get off of center, to begin to really pursue again after following after, after the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul, in the letter to, to the Colossi church, which he never visited, by the way. From best we understand, he never went to this church. That uh, I can't remember who it was that was the founder of the church. But Paul's writing them as his mentor, and he's encouraging them. And, and my goal is not to just deal with the whole first chapter of Colossae. But I'd like you to look at verse 9. Because, because of all that I've said, I believe that's why Paul passionately prays for the church. And what I want you to see in his prayer for the church in verses 9 through verse 14, I want you to see this is the goal of our discipleship. This is, when we become an apprentice of Jesus, this is what he wants of all of us. This is, this is where he wants us to go in our following after him. So let me read the text. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, this is Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son, the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness uh, of our sins. So this is the goal of following Jesus. And, and I, I took Paul's prayer for them and I sort of just broke it into, I think it's six things, six, six, six places that he wants us to go. So real quickly, just kind of walk us through those six. Here's the goal of following after Jesus. This is what God wants you to be, become as you apprentice Jesus. Here's the first one. It's that you be filled with all knowledge and all wisdom. See that in the text? Verse 9, 10, obviously um, he's saying to the Colossi church, you're not there yet. And what I'm praying for you is that you might be just absolutely filled with the knowledge and wisdom of God. It's hard for me to say I'm there, you know, I'm filled with all knowledge. I'm filled with all wisdom. I wouldn't begin to say that, would you? I, th I think most of us wouldn't say that. But that's the goal of following Jesus, that we might have all wisdom. And I tell you, if there's ever a day that we need the wisdom and knowledge of God in what it means and looks like to follow Jesus, this is the day, isn't it? Well, I shouldn't say that. It's probably that, it's probably been that true. It's probably been that way throughout every generation. But at least it feels that way for us in our culture and in our day where we are now. I need wisdom to know how to address all the stuff that's coming at us all the time. The goal of following Jesus is I'd be filled with all wisdom and all knowledge. 
The second thing he says is that I might walk worthy of Jesus, fully pleasing to him. So here's the goal. I followed Jesus and disciple. I'm his apprentice so that I might walk worthy of my master, that I might walk worthy of my king, but also so that I might be fully pleasing to him. So I want you to know something. Man, I please the Lord in many areas of my life. There are many things that Jimmy does that are pleasing to Jesus. Now, I'm not so arrogant to say to you that there's everything Jesus does is pleasing to Jim, Everything Jimmy does is pleasing to Jesus. It's not. I know that. There are things that I've done that are not pleasing to God. There are things that I'm not doing consistently that I know are not pleasing to the Lord. But the goal is, again, I, I say that to all of you because it's true of all of you. I'm sure there's things as you follow Jesus, you're doing well and you're pleasing our Father. But, but here, Paul says, man, I pray for you to please him in everything you do. Everything you do. So the goal of my following after Jesus is that I might please God at every area. He goes on. The third one would be to bear fruit in every good work. Paul prays for them, bearing fruit. So in everything you do, that it bears good fruit. And, uh, and I'm bearing fruit in my works. God's prepared works for all of us to walk in them. There's things that God has already orchestrated by his sovereignty for you to walk in them if you choose, for you to choose to do what he wants you to do. But he wants you to bear good work. He wants you to bear fruit in all of those works. And, and I struggle a little bit with this one because if I'm doing the thing that God wants me to do, I, I kind of need to let the fruit be his, right? I mean, I can't necessarily make make the fruit. You follow me there? In other words, my, my good, I'm called to do good works, but the fruit is, is something that seems to be that God would bear. But that's what, this is what he prays, that you would bear fruit in every good work. And so I, I really want to just say to all of us that we should be intent in our following after Jesus to do the good works that God has for you to do. In other words, don't, don't just be all about yourself. Don't just be all about what you want. Be about what is the good work that God wants me to do. Number four, he prays for them to be growing in the knowledge of God. The goal of following Jesus is that you might know God better. Not just have wisdom about how to deal with culture and wisdom on how to raise your children or wisdom on how to be the best husband you can be. I mean, those things are important, and that is the goal of following Jesus. But here he specifically says there's a goal that I might get to know God better. Can I, can I say, guys, listen to me carefully. You know what the danger of following Jesus for 40 years is? That you think you know it all. You think you know God for who he is. You, you, think, you, know, you think you know all there is to know about God because you've been following him for four decades. Some of you longer than that. But what if the God that we think we know, remember this message from, from 40 years ago or 30 some years ago? Uh, what if the God we think we know isn't the God who really is? You see, because we, we, can, make God in, we can make God out to be who we want him to be if we're not careful. And so we, we need to say, God, who are you? And, and we want to know you for who you really are. And so we need to be asking him, Lord, teach me, grow me in my knowledge of you so that I might know what and who you are in your fullness. Number five, the goal of being like Jesus includes being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You see that in the prayer, don't you? There it is. He says, I pray for you to be strengthened with all power. You know, I think when we think about that, we think about, how about I want power to do miracles. I want power to, to do the supernatural. I want And listen, hey, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I'll tell you what, if you could do the supernatural, you'd get an audience. You'd get people listening to you. You really, you really would. Or we want power to control other people. 
But this is what I think. I might be wrong, but this is what I think Paul's praying for them when he says strengthen with all power. I think he's talking about power to govern yourself. I think he's talking about power to live a life where you're not sinning. A life where you're choosing God's will over your will. I, I think that's what he means by power. If, if, if he means something more than that, that's awesome, right? But I think at least what Paul, at, at the baseline, Paul is saying, I want you to be filled with power so that you might govern yourself and you might put away sin in your life. You might choose humility. You might choose servanthood. You might choose being willing to prefer others as more important than yourself because you got the power you got the power to do it. You know, I got a letter this past week that really was really hurtful to me. Um, and I didn't think it expressed truth. I didn't, ex I didn't think the letter expressed what was true. I mean, I searched my heart and I didn't think it was true. And, and the power of God in me helped me write a letter that Jesus would want in reply as opposed to the letter that I wanted to write in and of myself. You see, so, so, so God gives us power. The goal of our discipleship is so that the power of Jesus might course in my inner life. I mean, that my inner man might be strengthened with his power to do what he wants me to do, even when I don't feel like doing it, even when I don't want to do it, even when I want to do something else. So that I might pray something like this, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. When inside of me, I might want something else. I might end up myself, I want something different. And the final thing, he says, I, he prays for them these four character qualities in their lives. And, and, and again, the, the four character qualities that he mentions, and I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I don't think Paul's trying to say, oh, these are the only things. But the things that he mentions here, and I'm going to mention them, are endurance, patience, joy, and gratefulness. You see them at the end of his prayer? Okay, so he's praying uh, those four character qualities. And, and so I, I want to suggest to you that the goal of your, disciple, your discipleship, your following after Jesus, your apprenticing after Jesus, is that you will endure. That you will not be one of those who hangs up your faith and, and gives up on that and deconstructs your faith and walks away from Jesus. But that you'll have endurance and you'll keep on keeping on following Jesus even when you're hurting or even when you're dry or even when, you're, when you feel... Uh, I don't know what you might be feeling that might cause you to not want to follow the Lord, but endurance. He says, man, I, I want you guys to have endurance. And then he says, I want you to have patience. I think patience is a great one. Patience in adverse circumstances and patience with adversarial people. Yeah, we need patience with, with one another and especially people that are against us. And then he says joy. He, he, he wants them to have joy and gratefulness. So what if, what if in my following after Jesus, my life was so overrun with joy that it washed up on the lives of other people? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to have the reputation of being so filled with joy and happiness that everybody just loves to see you coming rather than saying, doggone it, I wish I hadn't turned that corner and seen them, you know, because you don't want to be near them because they're not filled with joy. You just know they're going to, they're just going to bring you down because they're, they're a wash and downness rather than a wash in joy. And so he, he, he says, man, this is, this is the goal of our, of our discipleship, to, to be filled with joy. And, and, then, and then gratefulness. What if we exuded such gratefulness to God and to others that, again, people, man, I just love seeing him come. I just love being in her presence because they're just so grateful and they're so joyful, you know. That, beloved, is what Paul prays for them. And I think that's the goal 
for each one of us this morning in our following after Jesus. I think that's what God desires of us. That's what he wants to see as we apprentice after him. And like I said last week, let me go back and repeat something from another thing from last week. And it was this, that it's not perfection that God, perfection is the goal, but it's not perfection that God wants to necessarily see in our life, but it's progress. He wants us to, he wants to see that we're, that we're, that we're making progress. It's okay for you to come absolutely broken to the Lord. Hear me again, it's absolutely, be, it's okay to be broken before God. God just doesn't want to leave you in that broken state. He's not going to leave you in that broken state. He's going to help you. He, I mean, if you're messed up and hurting, he's going to, he wants to change that as you follow after him. So now the question is, and the question, I got two parts of the message. That was the first one. Here's where we're going. But the question is, how, how do I grow in discipleship to get to that place that we just defined and described for us? How do we do that? How do I follow Jesus? Now, there would have been a time when I think I would have given you a list. And I would have said, do these things. And there may have been 10 or 15 or 20 things on the list. And I would have said, here's how, here's how we become all the things that I just said. Here, here's the list that you need to focus on in order to be uh, this, this vibrant, alive, not just um, sulking, stagnant Christian. And, and that list might have been things like memorize your, your Bible, read your Bible every day, memorize scripture, go to church, pray every day, fast, etc., etc. And I no longer believe that the key to being the growing disciple is that I, I have a checklist that I check off, okay? And again, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm not saying the things I just mentioned to you aren't important. They are. And I think we should be doing those things. But, but you, don't, you, know what? you can have your checklist and you can still be dry and you can still be disconnected from the Lord and you can still be just passive and floating and not really pursuing after Jesus just because you're checking off your list of things things to do. Maybe, maybe this is semantics. Maybe I'm not going to make a, maybe, a, maybe what I'm going to say isn't really all that different. I don't know, but it seems different to me. And so at the end of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, he, he says something about what he's called to do. And, and what he says at, at the end of Colossians, what he's called to do, I, I think gives us a framework in how to invest in our, in our following after Jesus. And so what I'm hoping is I'm going to share with you six elements or six categories, if you would, to this framework. And in my goal over the next couple of months is going to be that as we kind of expound and, and, and sort of, you know, uh, unpack or, or, or deal with these different categories, that each one of them, you, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to step back and you'll be able to say, okay, in this particular area, this category right here, what do I need to do, God, to freshen up my walk with you, to freshen up my discipleship? And, and so it's not just a checklist. It's, there's these areas that I need to, to look at and be investing in. And and, and the truth is, listen, if, there, if it's true that there's like these six different areas, or six different areas, if it is true, then, uh, you know, if one of them is bad, if, one of, if I'm not doing good in one of them, maybe that's affecting the other five. You follow me? Maybe if, if you end up agreeing with me that there's these, there are these kind of categorical areas to, to deal with in our following after Jesus... And one of them, I'm, I'm not doing well in one of them. It can affect the other ones. I remember I had a good friend, uh, or I had a friend, and uh, it was kind of more of an acquaintance friend at the time. But anyway, and she was having all kinds of medical issues, and they, they could not figure out what it was. That the, all the she had a lot of different issues medically, and they, they seemed to be disconnected. They couldn't figure out what it was until they discovered that she had an abscess tooth. 
And when they treated the abscess in her tooth, then all the other things went away. So that abscess in her tooth was affecting her whole body in a, in a negative way. So I think what I'm going to share with you, I think these, these categories, if I'm investing in all of them, then I think I'm, I'm going to flourish. I, I, I want to suggest that we will not be dry, not be stagnant. There, there will be this, this life engendered in us as we apprentice after Jesus. So what are, what are the areas? Let's look at, got your Bibles open still, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I confess I don't really understand what Paul means there when he says, you know, I'm in my sufferings for you, I'm completing what Christ, what Jesus' afflictions uh, I'm, I'm completing what his afflictions lacked. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what he means by that. Except that. Maybe if we suffer for God's people because Jesus is in us and we're suffering for God's people, maybe we're completing, we're, we're completing somehow the sufferings of Jesus. Verse 25, I have come, I have become its servant. That's talking about the church, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now, Paul tells them that God's called him, sent him as a servant, and given him a message, and it's a message for them. And by extension, I would say it's a message for you this morning and for me. And his message was to make fully known God's will in what up to this point had been a mystery. Now, he doesn't, by mystery here, he does not mean something that had never been revealed. He just meant something that wasn't clear, that was, that was sort of unclear. He's going, to, he's going to make it clear. He's going to help everybody understand what it is. And, and so what is exactly the mystery? Well, uh, the mystery, let's look at verse 27, and, and, and it's in his dealing with this mystery and what he says he's called to do that I'm going to find this, that I'm going to share with you this framework that I think is so important for all all of us in our, in our following after Jesus. And uh, so here we go, verse 27. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with the strength that wor works powerfully, excuse me, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. And he tells them, here's the mystery. The mystery is the hope of, of Christ, and it's the hope of glory in all of us, which is Christ in us, and includes the Gentiles and the Jews. And I don't want to spend too much time here, but just, let me just say the mystery that Paul addresses in numerous letters, he says that's been revealed here at the end, is that God's heart has always been for the Gentiles and the Jews. It's never just been for the Jews. The Jews totally misunderstood that. We've talked about that numerous times, but it's the Gentiles and and the Jews. And, and he says, in, uh, in the mystery is this, the, the hope of glory is Christ in us. And so we proclaim him. All right, so here's the first category in our discipleship that I want to share with you. It's to be our motivation. What is our motivation to pursue after Jesus? What is our motivation to follow after Christ? Well, according to Paul, our motivation is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him. That's the motivation for all that Paul does, and it's the motivation for your pursuing after Jesus. If you feel, listen, if you feel that you ought to follow Jesus because someone else wants you to, 
Or if you feel like you ought to follow Jesus because it just seems like the right thing to do, then I tell you that motivation is not going to last you. At some point, you're going to bail on that motivation, and you're going to hang up your faith, and you're going to walk away from it. But if you understand something, if you understand this incredible thing that's happened, that motivation will energize you for your entire life, and it will keep you pressing on and following after Jesus. And it's the motivation that Jesus is in you. Earlier in the Colossian letter, Paul says that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, right? And now he says, the fullness of Jesus dwells in you. And we don't understand that. We're not going to have the right motivation. Next week, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this area of motivation for following Jesus. And uh, so that's what I would say is the first category in our following after Jesus. Why are we doing it? And if we don't have the right motivation, I think we're going to stall. Here's the second category. And it would be obedience. Paul says, warning everyone. Warning everyone what? Warning everyone of what it means to obey the Lord. Warning everyone what it means to obey the Lord is to put our faith in the Lord Jesus. So, so Paul is really calling us to obedience. And let's be honest, it's a struggle to obey the Lord, isn't it? I mean, uh, and I don't know why it has to be a struggle for us, but it is. Jesus did it for us, by the way, everyone. Jesus obeyed perfectly, and because of that, he offers his perfect life as a substitute for ours. But he was like us in every way, and, and so we, you know, we need to struggle with sin, and we need to press on towards obedience. All of us are prone to wonder. What's that old hymn say? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. That was the whole point of Keith Green's song that I quoted you earlier. We all, we all struggle with our own areas of sin where we want to wander away from the Lord. Or we want to disobey the Lord, I should say. Anne, Anne speaks all the time at home, privately, to me. She speaks all the time about her sympathy for drug addicts. And um, she says she's sympathetic for drug addicts. She says, because I am addicted to sugar. And Jimmy, you can't leave, you can't leave cookies here because I'll eat them. And you can't leave cake. And home group's not allowed to leave any sweets. And I don't think that's fair because I live in the house too, right? So, uh, but... Um, and I don't know if eating sugar is a sin, but it's a great illustration. I mean, you know, it's easy for us to look down on, on the struggles of sin that somebody else has, but all of us have them. All of us have, and, and that's why, you know, a shotgun approach to sin, if I were to talk about uh, uh, lust, if I were to talk about alcohol, drunkenness, if I was to talk about anger or greed or jealousy or whatever it may be, and again, this is not saying don't talk about those things. I am saying that if I did that, some of you would say, I got that one. No problem there whatsoever. If I focused on, say, alcohol, if I focused on drinking too much and, and, and drunkenness, you know, probably most of you in this room would say, well, I got that. It's not a big deal. There might be somebody here who struggles with it, but you don't struggle with that. But if I talked about lust, there might be a whole bunch of you that say, oh, I struggle with that one. But some of you say, oh, I got that one. No problem there for me. It's just different for all of us, right? But obedience is this area. So you know what? Your discipleship may have stalled because there's an area of obedience that you're not dealing with. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. The third category would be truth. Teaching everyone with all wisdom, Paul says. This is what I do. In this framework of discipleship, we need to be growing in wisdom, in, in wisdom and truth and knowledge and understanding. Unfortunately, I think sometimes in our day and age and in our world, we've distilled discipleship down to this, what I know. As long as you know truth, you're being a great disciple. No, there's these other areas of discipleship that are absolutely important. So it's not just what I know, but it, it is what I know. Discipleship is a lot more than what I know, but it's not less than what I know. 
You know, a decade ago, I, I was stagnant in my, in my life with the Lord. I was, there was lack of passion and joy, and, and I'm not just eliminating it to this thing, to, to this, this. I think there were other areas in these, these six things I'm talking about that needed work, these, these framework categories. There were other problems in some of those other ones, but there was an issue here as well. I'd become stagnant in my, in my learning. And one of the things I think God used to help turn me around was to, to light me up again about wanting to learn truth, wanting to learn God's word and apply it to my life. The fourth area is lifestyle. He says, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The goal is maturity. The goal is your lifestyle. The goal is not what you know, but it's, it's how you actually live out your obedience and live out your motivation to follow Jesus. It's, it's your whole life. And that takes practice and development. It takes us, it takes people helping me. I, I'm a good learner. I'm a good learner. And I, and I learn from reading and I learn from listening when someone is teaching me. But you know how I learn best? I learn best when somebody takes me and shows me practically how to do it. That's how I learn the best. That's what I long for is when people are teaching me to actually show me. And, and I best develop a lifestyle of maturity when someone develops me and someone shows me. I know this is a little bit off, but you know, I changed my own brakes. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of that. I used to hold, do a whole lot more, but that's about all I do now is change my brakes and change my all. But you know why I can change my brakes? Because Billy Love and Ronnie Atkins sat down with me and helped me take the tire off because my dad never taught me this. And they taught me to change my brakes and to change my starter and to do other things that I don't do anymore. But they taught me hands-on. That's how I learned. You know, how, you know how you develop a lifestyle of maturity to be the husband you need to be? Because other husbands train you. Because other husbands help you. They teach you and, and maybe they even show you. You see it lived out in how they treat their children or what they do with their children or what they do with their wives. And you watch that and it develops you and, cha and changes you. Same thing with being a businessman or in any area of following Jesus. It, it, so this is lifestyle. We need to have a lifestyle, a, a, a way of developing ourselves to, uh, to maturity. The fifth category, there's only six, I'm almost finished, hang with me. The fifth category in this framework would be discipline. Paul says in verse 29, I labor for this. I don't, I don't mean to say anything that I've told you this morning is easy. I don't mean to say anything this morning is, is just going to be simple and following. I'm not trying to say, hey, let me give you a simple way to follow Jesus. There is no simple way to follow Jesus. There is, no, there is no way that doesn't cost you. Jesus said, count the cost numerous times. So there's no simple, non, it's not going to cost me to follow Jesus. There's none of that. So here Paul says, and I'm going to call this one, you know, disciplining himself. He's saying, man, I labor for this. And, and so in the Christian life, we talk about following Jesus. We talk about the disciplines of following Jesus. You know why? Because they're hard and I have to discipline myself to do it. And it's toil and it's labor. And so Paul says, I buffet my body. I discipline myself. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be healthier. I've told you this before. Back in, in, I guess, probably like June maybe of last year, I began to walk. And I'm walking three miles a day and I'm still doing it. And every single day I hate the first quarter of that mile. I mean, it's just, and Ann can attest to this. I mean, every morning I say, I'm not doing this anymore. 
but I still put on my, my coat and I walk, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping I can keep it up. I'm not trying to say that I won't, but I'm telling you, it's a labor. It's a labor to do that. It's hard work. I don't want to do it anymore. And, and so it's, it's really, you know, follow, there's, a, there's a labor part of following after Jesus. And when we get to it, maybe you're going to need to just, maybe there's a part of the labor that you're not doing that God's going to speak to you about. The final category is I'm going to call reliance. And that is striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So many Christians, they they dislike the idea of synergy. Uh, synergy in the Christian life. They say, well, it takes away from God. But I'm telling you, I just see synergy in the Bible all throughout there, that it's me working and it is God working in me. And this is one of those places. This is what Paul says, striving. I'm striving. I'm laboring. I'm working hard with his strength that's working powerfully in me. I mean, there's a synergy there. I'm working, but God's at work in me. In the letter to the Philippian church, Paul says, Paul said something similar to them. He says, so then, my dear brothers, this is chapter 2 of the Philippian letter. He says, then, my dear brothers, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, there's their part. But then he says, for it's God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. So it's not like, it's not like God's left us to do this all by ourselves. I mean, he's working in our lives to help us follow after Jesus. But, but I'd be wrong if I was to say that, that it's, there's no discipline in this. There's no hard work in this. There's no, there's no part that I play in this. There's a very big part that you play in it. But at the same time, it's not, I don't have to grunt it out because he's given me his spirit. His spirit lives within me. And my goal is to trust the spirit, to follow the spirit, to let the spirit work out his life in me. As I said, in, in, in the weeks to come, we're going to explore those six areas. And, and we're going to talk about each one. And we're going to talk about, okay, uh, God, is this an area that, that, I need to, that I need to work on, rekindle passion in so that I am no longer stagnant in my discipleship? That's, that's the goal. That's what we're going to do in the days to come. And I'm hoping that this will light our wet wood. Or maybe if you're dry and feel parched, that this will be the water that you need, the rain that you need. In each of these areas, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, here's what I'd like you to do in the weeks to come. I'd like you to, when we go over each, each one of these areas, these categories, I'd really like you to come away each Sunday, and I'll, I'll help us with this, but I'd like you to go away each Sunday saying, God, here's the one thing I want to do in this area. Here's the one thing I want to do, God, so that my motivation is, is, is you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Or when we get to discipline, here's the one discipline. Not, not the 25 disciplines of the Christian life. Here's the one discipline that I need to work on. Or God, in the area of obedience, here's the one area where I'm not obeying and I know it. And God, I really want by your spirit to begin to obey you in that particular area. Maturity comes when we're fully trained. And I'm hoping that God will do that. Let me end with this last story. Christian author Tim Hansel shares a story in his book, Holy Sweat, and I'm just going to read it. A close friend of mine was asked back uh, to his 40-year high school reunion. For months, he saved to take his wife back to the place and the people he'd left four decades before. The closer the time came for the reunion, the more excited he became, thinking of all the wonderful stories he would hear about the changes and accomplishments these old friends would tell him. 
One night before he left, he even pulled out his old yearbooks, read the silly statements and the good wishes for the future that students write to each other. He wondered what old number 86 from his football team had done. He wondered if any of the others had encountered Christ, who had changed him so profoundly. He even tried to guess what some of his friends would look like and what kind of jobs and families some of these special friends had. The day came to leave, and I drove them to the airport. Their energy was almost contagious. I'll pick you up on Sunday evening, and you can tell me all about it. I said, have a great time. Sunday evening arrived, and as I watched them get off the plane, you know, my friend seemed almost despondent. I almost didn't want to ask, but I finally said, well, how was the reunion? Tim, the man said, it was one of the saddest experiences of my life. Good grief, I said, more than a little surprised. What happened? It wasn't what happened. It's what didn't happen. It has been 40 years, 40 years, and they haven't changed. They'd simply gained weight, changed clothes, gotten jobs, but they hadn't really changed. And what I experienced was maybe one of the most tragic things I could ever imagine about life. For reasons I can't understand, and it seems as though some people chose not to change. There was a long silence as we walked back to the car. On the drive home, he turned to me and he said, I never, never want that to be said of me, Tim. Life is too precious, too sacred, too important. If you ever see me go stagnant like that, I hope you give me a quick, swift kick where I need it for Christ's sake. I hope you'll love me enough to challenge me to keep growing. I'm going to challenge us to keep growing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for Paul. And thank you for how you used him to write the New Testament and how you used him to write down your words about the goal of our following after Jesus and, and the means by which we can follow and remain vibrant and alive rather than just growing stagnant in our Christian life. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, in the weeks to come, and, and again, Lord, not, not that this will be anything uh, just super duper or anything like that, but I do pray, Lord, that it will be penetrating by your spirit to our heart. And Lord, if we have an abscessed tooth in one area that's affecting our whole spiritual life, would you speak to that and help us change? Would you, would you clear out the abscess, Lord, so that our whole, our whole walk with you would be restored to vitality? And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.